Good morning. So Bill mentioned about uh, leaving Wednesday, and one of the things I asked prayer for is the jet lag because I basically leave Tulsa, and I think this time I go to Chicago and then to Frankfurt. There's a lay long layover, four or five hours in Frankfurt. Then I go to Moscow, and I just missed the first flight to Voronezh. So I have to sit in the Moscow airport for seven hours, and there's no place to rest. So basically, I go from coffee shop to coffee shop. And uh, so I get to Voronezh about 8 o'clock at night. Actually, I think the flight leaves at 8, 9 o'clock at night, after about 30 hours of no sleep. And they pick me up the next morning for the, ne uh, for the immediate first opportunity for ministry. So it's kind of like, you know. When I get to Kiev, I finally get to rest. So if you could pray for me about that. Uh, the other thing was Bill mentioned that about the Sister Church uh, project. We support Nikolai Levchenko and Boris Sinabobnov. And it's just a little bit short, not much. And I just want to thank those who, who faithfully give, because we don't really promote it, so that means you remember. And I really appreciate that. But if anybody has something to give, uh, Today would be the time, and then I'll pick it up on Monday. This is uh, April, our spring trip, uh, which is a little bit longer than normal because uh, we go to Spain as well. Uh, it's an opportunity for my wife to travel with me, and so rather than coming out through Frankfurt, we move over to Barcelona. It costs a little bit more, but not much, and we get to spend time with Sarah and also the ministry there. And what's happened is, because of my relationship with Youth with a Mission, they have an international church there. They have an Arabic-speaking church. There's leadership meetings. So we, we do quite a bit, actually, also, and I'll, you'll be seeing some pictures. So this is the CIS. Isn't that the way it always is? Ah, there it is. All right. Hold on a minute. I'm going to go out. Go back in. Okay. So we have the CIS, and you have Russia. And again, just, I was thinking again, you know, one-tenth of the land mass, but I was thinking about really how unreached it is. And, and the dynamic is that, that those that have, quote, religion are born orthodox. Most of them don't go to church except on holidays, or, and there's a number of different orthodox holidays, not just Christmas and Easter. But it's basically a tradition, and, and this is really untapped. If you think most of the activity is on the uh, western portion of the country, goes all the way over to Korea, uh, Vladivostok. It's just a huge country. This is Vronish Oblast where we're working. Uh, I thought this was fantastic because after 25 years of going there, that's how long it's been. We used to go by train, and the train was classic. It was like 1955. Old James Bond movie, you know, and you go in, you know, they bring you sheets and tea, and you make your bed, and it's about 13 hours.
from Kiev to Voronezh or from Moscow to Voronezh. Now we have this Airbus, and it takes 55 minutes. And, and you know, basically, when Jim and I went, they hadn't yet adjusted the financial issues. So we were paying what the Russians were paying. We, we went all the way from Moscow to Voronezh for $8 first time. And then it went up to $80, and, and this thing's only like 100 So, I mean, it's just, just amazing, the difference. So, again, you know, 25, 30 hours no sleep, and uh, Boris Abobnov, my host, was in America. So Andrei Bashmakov, one of the other bishops, hosted me. He said, oh, by the way, brother, we have an early morning prayer meeting. So I went to bed, got up the next morning. We went to this prayer meeting. On the way, he said, oh, by the way, you're bringing the word from the Lord. So I, I taught on, I taught on uh, repentance for effective prayer, and it went very, very well. But this is an amazing group of people. And uh, this church was built in a village called Sochus, and um, it basically was Vasily Vasilievich's church. He was a bishop who was in prison. He passed away about four years ago. And for years, he had like a small building in his backyard, and he lived to see this church built. So I, I'm really blessed every time I get to speak in that church. This is the rehabilitation center. Uh, right after the prayer meeting, we went off to the rehabilitation center. I did fall asleep in the car on the way. It's about a two-hour drive. And uh, this is Andrei Bashmakov. And uh, we support him through our Sister Church project. He has this rehabilitation center. He goes to Israel consistently. He started a rehabilitation center in Israel for Russian Jews. And it's a fantastic outreach. And so he's in Israel quite often. He's sharing here. Just to show you the, the size of this, uh, the rehabilitation is very, very active. And it's out on a communal farm five hours, sorry, five miles outside. Uh, from the main highway, and uh, Ed was asking me one time, he said he saw us going through in the snow. I've changed my schedule. I don't go there in the snow anymore. And they have singles, couples, and families. So you see kids running around. It's just like a community. Very attentive. It was very, very good. Uh, this is a new church that I got to speak in, and the name of it is House of Bread which I thought was quite creative because most of the churches are called House of Prayer because that's what the Bible says. So you have the House of Prayer in Veronish, you have the House of Prayer in Roshish, you know. And, but this guy wanted a teaching church, so House of Bread. I thought that was clever. It's a young people's church. It's very, very contemporary. It actually is above a village house. They built an extra story. They vaulted the ceiling. And so it's, it's really a pretty amazing church. And I really enjoyed this. And uh, this is Larissa. She's the translator. And actually, these are the people through which I communicate. Both she and her husband speak English. And she was so excited about the Word of God. And it was on Wage the Good Warfare, which we shared here. And she said, this exactly is the word we need. She was just, every time she translated, she'd get all excited about what she was translating. So it was really good. Then I went to uh, Kiev, Ukraine. Here's Ukraine. Uh, you basically go from Ronishvast to Moscow. And because Putin has closed the border with Ukraine, because they are at war, semi-officially at war, he's closed the border, you cannot travel from Russia to Ukraine. So I have to go out and come in. 
Uh, this last time I went through Lithuania. This time I'm going through Riga. Uh, it's, uh, it's not really as bad as it may seem, but it is very inconvenient. So we ended up in Kiev. This is the Kiev Oblast, and if you look directly above, that's Belarus, and to the right is Russia. So the Kiev Oblast is very close to, uh, to Russia, and this is Kiev, which is separated by the Dnieper River. Uh, this is our Bible Institute, which we hold uh, spring and fall, and we converted the basement of this church, and this church was actually helped built by Aquila Bible Chapel, a little, little independent church in Ohio, and, and actually, they put more money into this church than their own church, put about $30,000 to build this church building, and we converted the basement into classrooms and dormers for students to come for the Bible Institute. So these are pastors, young pastors, church workers. Uh, this is our Bible Institute. We have a classroom. And this is Oleg, our translator, whiteboard. I said, you know, if you, if you want me in my element, just give me about 35, 40 people and a whiteboard and some markers, and I really, I really like that. And these guys really take it seriously. Uh, it's just such a blessing to teach. So this is about 40 pastors and church workers. And we have a meal together. This is Friday and Saturday after Saturday, uh, just the morning. Uh, it used to be two days, but I have to travel usually on Saturday afternoon. So it's all day Friday and Saturday. That's a lot of, a lot of teaching. This is our lunch. And then we had a young man named uh, Andre Babi uh, who spoke, and he is the son of the senior bishop of all the unregistered Pentecostal churches in uh, Russia, Ukraine. I think there's some in Germany. And his name is uh, Grigory Babi, and he's become a good friend. And his son's a good teacher, so it was really good to have him, you know, relationship and all. And so uh, he did an excellent job. This is the spring... Bible Institute of Ukraine class. And if you look there with the orange shirt and the... Huh? Nikolai Levchenko. And he's doing well. He's got heart issues, but he just refuses to stop. And that's one of the pastors we support. Went to Venitsa next. Uh, usually there's a seminary that we do, but at this time the seminary was not open. They were actually utilizing the seminary to uh, train workers for youth camps. This is a big thing right now in the churches in Russia and Ukraine to have these youth camps for unchurched kids to come to the Lord. And so they basically dedicated a year or two just to training workers for the youth camps. So I went there actually to minister in the public high school. Uh, this is a church that we relate to. This is our Translator Sasha's father's church, it's an independent Pentecostal church, small church, very contemporary, great worship. Actually, uh, that's his sister and that's his brother. So they're all involved, the family's involved with uh, the worship and the church. And then they got the core group together, wanted a picture, so... Some people had left, but that's the core of the church. We went to Venitsa to basically speak in the public schools. This is something that is a real incredible opportunity, and I was glad I had Susie with me. Uh, we spent two days uh, going from class to class to class 
uh, the president uh, of Ukraine, um, Peter Poroshenko, uh, basically dedicated the month we were there as English month. And so there was American flags all over, and, and the whole emphasis was English. And so they had to speak in each of these classes. And because I'd been there before, this time I got to share my testimony, you know, a bit of my testimony. Oh, by the way, this is why I'm here. I'm a pastor. And I said, I'm Protestant pastor. And I talked about the different, you know, and I talked about how our commonality is we all love Jesus, we believe in Jesus. It was just fantastic. And the principal was all excited, wants us to come back. So this is just one of the classes we spoke in right here. And this is the principal on the left. You can see the American flag in the center. Sasha, our translator, is next to my wife. There was another English teacher there. And again, you know, anytime, just come, speak to our students. And we also spoke to the staff and the faculty. So it was, it was two, two weeks, two days of uh, intensive ministry. Came back to Kiev. This is basically what I would consider our home church. This is Dimi Shalchuk. This is the church in which the Bible Institute is in the basement. And this was the church that was built by this little church in Ohio. And Dima, I met Dima, and, and Jim was, I think, with me shortly after. In fact, I think he was with me the first time I met Dima in the 90s. And it was a house church of about 50 people. And it was a little village uh, building. And we came in, you know, it was like trying to get in, you know, to the front of the building. And we get to the front, and I'm standing there like this, and there's a guy right in my face. I mean, the place is just packed. You know, it was a real experience in those days. No buildings in a little little village house. And so we, we spoke, and uh, we came back the next year, and he had about five people. And I said, well, what happened to your church? He said, they all immigrated to America. <laughs> you know, America opened her doors, and it just, there was this huge flood for about two years, just a flood. So he started over with five people, and this is what he has now. And, and one of the key guys who's an evangelist in his church is the chief of police for Brovery, who, who, was, a, who was a womanizer and drunkard. And, and I was there when he got baptized with the Holy Spirit, and it was just, he was running around speaking in tongues. He couldn't stop. I mean, it was just crazy time. So this is, this is a great church. He told me, he said, Dear brother, I can't have you preach this Sunday because we are dedicating the Sunday to ordaining deacons. But because of your position with us, we want you to lay hands on the deacons and pray for them. That is really an esteemed thing. So this is what we did. These are the deacons and their wives, and we're praying over them. There's some prophecy ministry to the couples. From there, we went to Spain, and there's my daughter, Sarah. And you'll notice she looks nothing like my wife. Looks <laughs> nothing like my wife. And I think that's a palace in the back. We're kind of up. It's a hotel, and there's a palace. It's a real pretty area in Barcelona. And this is El Ocal. It's a YWAM international church, Spanish-speaking, so I had to have translation. Very good church, you know, very upbeat, you know, contemporary worship. And... Uh, it was, we, had a, we had a really good time. This is uh, Puente, and I think Sarah might have showed some of this that night. But this is Sarah doing crafts and teaching from the parables of Jesus with these young kids. Just the interaction's fantastic. Isn't that beautiful? Young, young Arab kids don't know Jesus yet, but they're just hungry. 
This is Puente, which is the church, uh, which came out of this outreach. It's the uh, Arabic-speaking church. Uh, this is Hani, who is uh, an Egyptian Christian, who is my translator. Hani and Mona actually partnered with Mary and Terry Ligon in Cairo in the house church movement. They were really good friends of theirs. We didn't find this out until afterwards. And uh, the church itself used to be that pillar. I think I showed you a picture. There was a wall, and there was about 30 people. And it grew so much, they rented the apartment next to it. It's more like a storefront next to it, and broke out the wall and moved it. So that's how much this church, in one year, how much this church has grown. And they do have some Syrian refugees there also. And then they had a leadership meeting, and they always asked me to bring a word to the leadership, so they had a small leadership meeting, and I, I was able to share with the leadership. So this is the leadership team that Sarah's on, and she's, she has actually become one of the key leaders. That's it. So that's basically the spring trip. In the fall, we don't do Spain, but uh, do pray for me uh, about this upcoming trip. Actually, I'm real encouraged about it. Um, I was able to get a uh, missionary, Assembly of God missionary, who was actually the president of the Assembly of God Seminary in Kiev, who has retired, has agreed to meet me in Kiev and teach in our institute. So we've got some pretty good people that are starting to plug in so I don't have to do everything. I'm going to share with you just a very short word. It's an exhortation. And it came out of a devotional that I gave at a regional pastor's meeting in Voronish. Uh, Sunday, I usually preach in three churches. Monday morning, they have a regional meeting. I say regional. Voronish is a big city, so there's churches around the city and on the outskirts. They all come together. Most of it's discussion about issues, but they spend time in prayer. And right about the middle of it, Boris turns to me and he says, Dear brother, can you give us a word from the Lord? <laughs> I know this is coming, so I always prepare. And I had prayed about it, and I told him, I said, you know, a lot of times it has to do with a word for leadership, some kind of exhortation, or even a word of encouragement. But this time it really had to do with something God was doing in me personally. And I told him that. I said, you know, Boris, I said, this is a word that God is dealing with me personally. And the word was obedience. Obedience. Lordship obedience. We know that the, uh, in scripture and we know according to our Christian faith that the first sin was an act of disobedience to God. We know that restoration came through one man's obedience. Romans chapter 5 verse 19. Restoration came through one man's obedience. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And as we look at Scripture, and I, I was actually talking, some of you know Bill Dudney. He used to uh, be in our church, and he's a good friend. I was talking to him about this, and he said, do you know? I said, the theme of obedience is carried throughout Scripture from the beginning to the end. And he just started spouting Scriptures. He said, oh, yes, in Romans, such and such. And it was all about obedience. And he, Hebrews, and he started talking to me. It was really uh, quite amazing. In John 5, 19... John 5, 19, and we're very familiar with this scripture. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, 
Whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus was always obedient. He only did what the Father was doing. He was always obedient. In Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And, and part of the key to this verse is the very beginning. And, and we need to take note of what it says at the beginning. Let this mind be in you. So we need to take that seriously. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus was obedient even unto death. And, and we know the, the struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane. He submitted to the, to the Father. He was obedient unto death. And it says we are to be like-minded. God has called us to obedience. This is a verse that um, Dave referenced, James chapter 1, verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. And this is in reference to the word of God. It says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and then he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, obedient to what the word of God says, this one will be blessed in what he does. So we're going to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We are to be obedient to the word of God. And it says that we will be blessed in what we do. And I, so this is what I thought of. What is the blessing of obedience? What is the blessing of obedience? When I finished this, I immediately thought of more. I mean, this barely scrapes the surface, but I share three specific areas. The reward of obedience. Clearly, according to Scripture, this is what it says. Number one, God's presence God's presence. John 8, 28 through 29. John 8, 28 through 29. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. He was consistently obedient to the Father. This pleased the Father. It says the Father has never left him alone. The presence of God. And I, again, I, when I finished this, I thought about other little trails. The presence of God, we're talking about the power of God. The power of God also. As we are obedient to the Father, you will be pleasing to him. He will always be with you. And we're talking about you know, God is always with us. We're talking about the manifestation of God in our lives. And really, I think it has to do, I thought of two things. One was power, and the other was peace, which the older I get, I mean, when I was young, it was power, power, and now I'm older, and it's like peace, peace. <laughs> but those are two things that, you know, have to do with the presence of God. 
Andrew Murray, a South African pastor, writer, and teacher, said this, Only by entering his will through obedience is it possible to be his people. God delights to dwell in the midst of his people's obedience. Isn't that great? God delights to dwell in the midst of his people's obedience. He crowns the obedient with favor and his presence. John 15, 9 through 10. John 15, 9 through 10. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And we can clearly see that the love of God is his presence, and we're talking here about obedience. As we're obedient to the word of God, we will abide in his presence. Uh, 1 John 2.24. 1 John 2.24. You don't hear pages hardly rustle anymore. You just, you know, everybody's, ta everybody's tapping stuff. <laughs> Therefore, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. If you are abiding in the teachings of the Lord, if you are obedient to the Word of God and the teachings of the Lord, you will abide in His presence. The first reward for obedience is the presence of God. Uh, number two, cleansing and sanctification. This is really rich. Cleansing and sanctification. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. We purify our souls by obeying the truth, the Word of God, through the Spirit. We are purified. 1 John 1, 7, and, and actually we, we read this verse in a, in a recent teaching, but 1 John 1, 7, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And, and we talked about how when you receive the Lord, you're cleansed of your sins. But because we live in a dark world, and although we are no longer sinners, we still sin, we consistently need a fresh application of the blood of Jesus. And in these scriptures, it shows two ways you receive a fresh application of the blood of Jesus. One, you walk in the light. Obedience. Through obedience and walking in the light, you receive the washing of the blood of Jesus. The other one that's referenced is that if you step out into sin, you repent. You confess and repent. And God restores you and washes you in the blood of Jesus. Through obedience and repentance, we are washed in the blood of Jesus, obeying the truth. What is that light? We, we've heard this and we know, but I just want to affirm it and, and I won't read the whole thing. Second Peter 1, 19 through 21 talks about the prophetic word confirmed, talks about it as a light that shines in a dark place, 
it then specifically says that this prophetic word confirmed is prophecy of Scripture. It talks about how the Scriptures are prophecy and that they are interpreted by the Holy Spirit because it was written by the Holy Spirit. So the key thing is, Scripture is prophecy, and it's a light that shines in a dark place. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So the light that it's talking about, that we're to walk in, is the Scriptures. And I really feel it has to do with the Scriptures. You know, I cannot be accountable for everything that's in here. I can only be accountable for that which I've received, which I need to constantly be receiving more. I was in a meeting one time. Uh, I used to travel with Tom Moan, who was a teacher here in Tulsa, and we were in a meeting in McAllister at an Episcopal priest's home. It was real interesting. And this, uh, the wife of the, this Episcopal priest was struggling with some issues, and she said she was struggling with some issues of Scripture, and she shared that with him. And Tom immediately opened his Bible, and he said, well, let me share something with you. And she said, no, 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 no more light. I have so much already, I can't hardly be accountable for what I have. And I thought, that's so real, you know what I mean? She was kind of joking, but don't give me more. I'm having a hard enough time with what I got. You know? So we are accountable for that which we've received. And we need to continually be receiving more. Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer, said this. When we're faced with disasters, when we're overwhelmed by darkness, when things seem so dark that we doubt that we are pleasing to God, then we should learn to reach for the Bible. We should recognize that we live in a dark world. The only reason we can see it all is that the light of God's word shines brightly. As we are obedient to the word of God, we are cleansed and sanctified. The second reward of obedience is cleansing and sanctification. Number three, the last one, and again, not com totally complete, but, but specific. Number three, eternal salvation. Eternal salvation is a reward of our obedience. What does the scripture say? Hebrews 5, verse, this says verse 8. I'll have to double check. That looks like a jump, but it's in Hebrews 5. Though he was a son, speaking of Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I don't want to get into a theological debate about faith and works. I read some good things by Luther. He actually came to a pretty good balance as far as how, how that manifests and worked out. But, but all I know is the scripture is clear here. It says he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. I think this will explain it. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He says, you work out your salvation in fear and trembling through obedience. And then it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we work out what God has put in salvation, a free gift, but we work that out in our lives through obedience. We work it out. We talked about the fruits of the Spirit and how when the Holy Spirit comes in us, he brings all the fruits of the Spirit. So our life consists of 
working out the fruits of the Spirit. And people say, you know, don't, don't ask for patience because he'll just stick in a long line and you'll have to manifest patience because patience is in there. But they're all like that. Gentleness. He'll give you somebody that you just can. You've got to manifest gentleness, you know. And so it's there and you have to work it out. This is the aspect here we're talking about. But what's really good for me is the last sentence. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So it's my responsibility to submit to that and be obedient, but it's God who does it. I can't do it. I can't manifest love for that person. I can't manifest patience. I'm not a patient person. <laughs> you know? It was because of my dad. It's my dad's fault. He wasn't a patient. Uh, we got into this thing one time. I got into this about victimization, you know. You know a good way to never have to change? Just blame it on somebody else. It was my dad. Because my dad, you know, you have to understand. But what it's saying here is that God never asks you or requires anything of you that he doesn't give you the power to accomplish. He's there in you wanting to do it. You just need to cooperate and be obedient. I remember the Lord spoke to me, and I, I got into situations where I was just so weak and so empty. And I'd get into situations where, you know, I was required to, to respond to, to different situations, to teach or whatever. And the Lord finally spoke to me. He spoke to me clearly. And on, this is the best word. He said, I will always give you what you need when you need it. But I had to get up first. I had to open the Bible and start, and then everything came in, and God gives you what you need. He will never require anything of you. He doesn't give you the power to accomplish. So when he says you're going to work out your salvation with fear and trembling through obedience, it's because he enables you to do it and he gives you the power to do it and he, and he gives you the will to do it. He changes you so you desire to do it. Think about it. We desire to be obedient. And, and, and we're more disappointed than God is when we're, when we're disobedient. You know, it's like, oh, I can't believe it, you know? And God's going, it's okay. Well, I said, no, I, I just can't. You're arguing with God. He's trying to forgive you and love on you. And you're, no, no, I don't deserve that. You know, we, we struggle. But that's the reality. The third reward for obedience, according to Scripture, is eternal salvation. So the reward for obedience is, number one, God's presence. And I would say with that comes peace and power. Number two, cleansing and sanctification. And number three, eternal salvation. Uh, I've shared with you before, I, I had the honor, and it was just a God-given thing to meet Mother Teresa in Calcutta. I was traveling with YWAM teaching, and we went into the city. We went over to the Sisters of Charity and, and knocked on the door and said, we'd like to see Mother Teresa. And they said, uh, oh, little sister, you know how they are. They go, oh, come back in one hour and she will see you. So we went off and looked at this old Anglican church, came back. They ushered us in. We sat down. And there was about six people, my friend, the YWAM leader, and myself, two girls, a couple of Indian uh, nationals were sitting there. And she came out and she's talking. And she's talking. She has any questions and we're talking. And she turns to the two girls. And the two girls were Americans. And they had the, these tan, they looked like California girls. You know, they were blonde with tans and, you know, and, and they had beads and all this stuff. And she goes, oh, why are you here? Oh, we are, 
we are sitting under the teaching of, of Sadhu somebody, you know. And, um, and then they said, oh, but we, we are Christians also. And they had all these beads. And they dig down inside and they pull out rosaries. They had rosaries in there. We, we are Catholic. And she looks at them. I'll never forget this. She looks at them and she goes, is Jesus not enough? You know, like looking at the adulterous woman, you know. Is your husband not enough? I mean, it was really, I thought, this lady can be cold. And then she, and then she turned her head. I'll never forget. She turned her head and she put her eyes on a spot just over my right shoulder like she was staring at the wall, and she prophesied. I'll never forget this. She said, absolute devotion to Jesus is what is required. I'm sitting there, oh, my God. And then she goes, and then she realized what she'd done, and she goes, oh, 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 I need to leave. <laughs> you know? Absolute devotion to Jesus is what re is required. What does that mean? Obedience. It's obedience. Absolute devotion to Jesus. If you're a Christian, absolute devotion to Jesus is what is required. You need to meditate on that. D.L. Moody, in the 1800s, an American evangelist and founder of Moody Bible Institute, he said this. This, this is really strange. You'll love this, Jim. I'm going to give this to you. Jim, this is for you. Ready? You probably heard this already. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. And then he said, by God's help, I aim to be that man. And when I read that, I said, by God's help, I aim to be that man. I told the brothers this. I was sitting there, and I said, and I, by God's help, I aim to be that man. To be totally committed, consecrated, Devoted to God to be obedient. To be obedient. Search the scriptures. See what else it says about obedience. To be obedient. God has called us to be obedient. Amen. Let me pray with you. If you could stand. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we, we thank you for this word. This word is, is really an encouraging word as to the reward, as to the blessing. But Lord, it's a challenging, it's really a challenging word. I mean, we immediately see where we fall short. And we come before you with humble, repentance hearts as things just flood in and come to mind. In areas where we have not been obedient, some of them are just little simple things that you've required of us. Other Others are bigger things that we have wrestled and wrestled with you, and we just, we just will not give that up. And God, we need to turn into you and receive that grace and that, that presence of God that enables us through you to be obedient, to give it up. And I, I believe God's speaking to individuals about something very specific. It, it might be something as simple as a bad habit, uh, might be sin. I, I'm thinking myself, you know, of, of, about discipline. Uh, what is the highest? What is the best? Where, where are your priorities? So, God, we just turn to you and we ask your forgiveness. Just transact business with God. We, we, we ask for your forgiveness. Oh, God.
Jesus' name, Lord, forgive us. And help us, help us to overcome. You know, some of these things, so many times, it's almost like we, 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 get, we get tired of asking forgiveness. We think to ourselves, how can God forgive us? I mean, this must be the, the, the thousandth time. And he does every time. He forgives us. He's so patient, so gracious, and wants the best for us. Well, Lord, empower us. We, we ask for your forgiveness. Once again, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord and to empower us, and to bring change. And Lord, let us see it. Build us up in the faith, and let us see it. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the, again, we just thank you for the word of God. Uh, we do not take for granted that we have the scriptures readily available for you to speak through to us. We thank you. Lord, let us be faithful to seek your face through the word of God and to take note of what you're speaking to us and to be obedient. God, we pray for that. And we, we, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.